Welcome to Industry Insights, the EFM podcast in cooperation with Gothe Institute. My name is Nadia Danton. I'm a London-based film curator and impact producer. I will be your host for this episode of the podcast. My guests today, Nicole Salazar, Yoni Brook, and Josh Penn, are the producers of the acclaimed documentary series, Philly DA. We will speak about the documentary series boom and interrogate why this has been such a phenomenon over the course of the COVID-19 pandemic. Nicole, Yoni and Josh, welcome. Thank you so much. We're so happy to be here. Thanks for having us. It's an honor to be at the Berlinale and an honor to speak to you. My pleasure. The global pandemic seems to have led to increased audience interest in documentary series. At the beginning of the project, did you foresee that this could be a trend? In your opinion, what do you think explains this growth of engagement? I I think we thought a lot about the format of the series. Um, We originally thought uh, this is going to be a feature film, when, when both when Yoni and Ted started shooting, and then as we all got on board, that was kind of the idea. And it grew from a five-part series to an eight-part series from there. Um, and I mean, we can talk a lot about what motivated that, but I, I imagine what motivated it primarily is similar to what motivates audiences and other doc series being created, which is um, 90 minutes is a pretty short amount of time to get across like a wide swath of complex ideas. And we wanted, we had shot, I don't know how many hours Yoni and Nicole may know, but a whole lot of hours um, over a number of years and had a lot of stories to tell. And we didn't really just want to boil it down to one of those arcs or, or one story. We wanted to be able to really explore a lot of different things. And I think actually even more important than exploring a lot of different things was just allowing for complexities. Yeah, and I'll just add that I think that, you know, audiences, thanks to podcasting, uh, especially, are used to serialized nonfiction content. And I think um, per, what Josh is saying is totally true, that our our series, we didn't, we didn't set out to make a series. We set out to tell a story about this um, election that happened in our hometown, and that election gave us a keyhole to look at all the myriad of issues in the criminal legal system here in the United States that have contributed to mass incarceration. And once you start peeling at that onion, you could easily make a hundred part series. And there have been a lot of other great series and a lot of other great features that have been made about the topic. So we wanted to make sure that we used our access and the material that we had put to its full limit um, without padding it or adding stuff that we didn't need. Um, There are so many other stories that didn't even make it in the eight parts that that deserve their own features or shorts. So I think knowing that audiences are sophisticated enough to go on this journey with us and probe a little bit more than the true crime narrative that a lot of all nonfiction and fiction um, series are based around, we wanted to explore a different way of looking at the legal system that wasn't about those salacious crimes, that wasn't about um, the good and bad people, but that looked at what actually were the gears that drive our justice system that have created this unsustainable 
um, mass incarceration machine. And so to do that, you can't do that in 90 minutes. You really can barely do it in eight hours. But by doing that, at least we could start to evoke that world so that viewers could then take their own initiative to look in their own backyards and seek out other films and seek out other books that would actually get at some of these questions. We're, 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 we're by far from being completist. And um, I'm curious about uh, when or what was the moment when you realized that uh, the initial sort of vision of the project being a feature film was not really going to be obtainable and when you sort of made the switch to um, making it into a documentary series? Well, I'll say, I mean, I joined the project about a year after Ted and Yoni had started filming. And, um, you know, initially I thought I would just be coming on for a few months to help them out. And what I learned when I came, you know, because they were telling me, oh, it's going to be a feature, you know, come to Philadelphia. I'm from New York. I relocated to Philadelphia. And, you know, part of the sort of initiation process is you get to start watching all of the dailies and all of the sort of assemblies that the editors have been putting together. And, you know, I think they, even though they weren't really speaking it out loud, I think they were already in a way sort of chasing the story beyond the scope of a feature, because there were just so many different storylines that they had already begun to investigate and sort of accumulate material on. And I think this is, you know, this is part of what happens, I guess, in verite filmmaking, where, you know, you don't set out on any given day necessarily knowing what's going to happen. So simply by sort of being as... um, you know, just sort of hardworking and ambitious as they as they were, and just sort of trying to chase down every story as it came up. And the DA's office also in that time, in that first year, I mean, you know, none of them had been prosecutors before, none of them had led a 600 person office before. So they were also, you know, trying to do so many things with that kind of new energy of a new team that had just been elected. Um, so there was really just so much going on that really, there were many, many different avenues that were already being explored. And I think, you know, I think part of it also is just understanding that to really understand the power of a prosecutor, which I think, you know, in the United States, most people don't know who their elected DA is. They don't really understand the role. You know, in order to really understand that role, you need to understand the impact that it's having on people out in the city. And to do that, you can't just stay in the office. So we sort of were in this position where we had this incredible access that allowed us to sort of see the beginnings, the machinations of all these policy conversations going on. But then to really understand that power, you need to also film with people out in the city, film with people impacted by the system, film with other stakeholders in the system to sort of see where that friction lies. So in order to do all of those things, it just sort of seems like, you know, it wasn't possible to just tell the one story of the one individual leading the office. But you really needed to kind of also decenter the DA himself at times so that you could really spend time in the points of view of other folks. Um, so I would say about a year in was really when you know, at least I know when I came in, I started saying like, I think this could possibly be a series, you know, and I think partially because I hadn't even made a feature before, it was easier for me to just sort of say that without even knowing everything that would be entailed in making a series. And maybe because none of us had made a series, it seemed a little bit more doable than than if we'd sort of already gone down this road, because it is quite challenging. Um, but so I would say about, you know, about a year and those conversations were really happening. Makes sense. And Yoni, I wanted to pick up on something you mentioned um, in your previous response about the fact that, uh, you know, there was a sort of local element, the fact that you and Josh, you know, this is your um, your local town. I wondered if you could talk a bit about how that sort of has served as a catalyst or even a driver in terms of how you um, have been developing the narrative or developed the narrative um, over the course of the series. This project wasn't conceived in a boardroom or in a pitch session to executives to say this is going to be a television series. This was conceived because some local filmmakers, myself and Ted Passan, um, looked at what was happening in our own city 
And we started seeing signs go up in our neighborhoods and people get really mobilized to say there's going to be an election for a prosecutor. Um, and that is typically an office that most people don't think about as being an office that you can vote for that person. It's only been in the last decade that there started to be a, a, a consciousness that the person you elect for that office can have a huge impact on the actual laws that have been on the books. The prosecutor decides how to interpret those laws and looks to the will of the people to decide, you know, we may have the death penalty in the United States, but how often will we impose it? Um, we may have certain drug laws, uh, but how will, they be, how will they be enforced and against whom will they be enforced? The, the chief prosecutor sits at the top of the law enforcement pyramid, essentially, and the police department is only as effective as that law enforcement officer prosecutor will be. So this project began because we heard that there was somebody running to be prosecutor who, frankly, almost seemed like a joke. Uh, you know, we had heard of Larry Krasner's name in Philadelphia as a civil rights attorney, as somebody who, if you were going to a protest against police brutality or you were going to occupy Philadelphia or you were part of the ACT UP movement, people would, would scrawl Larry Krasner's phone number on their arm in Sharpie because he would be your phone call from prison to get bailed out. So I think when my, when my co-director, Ted Passan, heard that Larry Krasner was running to be district attorney, it seemed like a political statement, maybe even a stunt, more than a pathway to reimagine this office of the prosecutor. You know, uh, Larry had spent his whole career fighting the prosecutor's office. So for him to actually lead it, it seemed a little ludicrous. But it was also a moment in Philadelphia's history and in the United States history where we had just had Donald Trump elected president in 2016. And so the thought was, stranger things have happened. <laughs> and maybe if 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 this is going to be a moment where unlikely people are going to become elected, maybe Larry Krasner could be the district attorney. And so we started filming Larry Krasner during his campaign. And we also filmed with his opponent. You know, it just seemed like a question. Will this person get elected? And once, um, thanks to a lot of ground, ground level organizing, people mobilized all over the city, people in, in prisons, people in communities that had never really been asked to speak on behalf of what, who they wanted to see in the prosecutor's office. Krasner was elected. And to us, that's when the film, it really began. That was the question for us was, can you get any of this stuff done? Um, most, most films about a politician end on that night of the election, and you kind of hope they'll get to do all of the ambitious things they wanted to do. And I think the exciting thing for us is that Larry Krasner had never been a politician. He'd never been a prosecutor. He'd never won an election. And so when we asked him, can we actually come into the halls of power at the prosecutor's office and see what goes on, he agreed to our conditions. And by doing that, we could actually look and see what are the, what are the bumps in the road, what are the pressure points, what are the conflicts that you're going to face when you try to achieve what you ran on. So, so that's why it sort of became this um, organic process to figure out what this project would be. We didn't know what the stories would be. We didn't know what, we would, what would happen once we started filming. There was no roadmap 
um, for us. And there certainly was none for Larry. He had never been in that office. So it was kind of a mutual learning curve, I would say. You know, this you've spoken about the fact of how close the story is in terms of your sort of immediacy and being the environment. You know, during the course of the filming and obviously constructing the narrative, did you have any concerns about your own sort of objectivity or the way that, you know, as, you know, um, producers who largely, you know, are from Philadelphia, what your, um, the, the objectivity of how you were telling that story? I mean, I think you have to always be questioning that. You should never, I don't think you can ever take it for granted, right? I mean, we all come at every story we tell with our own backgrounds, our own perspectives. Um, I mean, I think you know, we did, or I can speak for myself, like, you know, my values are aligned with the mission that Larry was speaking of. I mean, I think we've had, you know, decades of mass incarceration in this country that are unacceptable. And we've seen sort of, um, you know, we've glimpsed all of the horrors that sort of come with that and the sort of toll it's taken on our society. So I think, you know, I think we came in with a certain amount of enthusiasm for the idea of a politician who wanted to change those things. But I think at the end of the day, you know, as filmmakers, we're still there to tell the story of like how how possible is it to make that change once you sort of have the levers of power? Is this the right way to achieve those changes? And just sort of what does that look like? What is, you know, once you get into the office with that mission, what is the pushback and what's the right way to respond to it? So I think there's, you know, there's, you can't take yourself out of it completely, but I think you can still sort of go in there with an open mind and really want to hear you know, what the different perspectives are and sort of come into it with the curiosity of learning about it rather than saying, you know, I know what it should be. And I'll also just add one thing to that, which is that we, you know, like personally, when we talk about ending mass incarceration and and creating like a new vision of what the justice system can be like, that's very stirring for myself personally. I think we, we want that to be the world we live in. But at the same time, once Larry Krasner put his hand on the Bible and became an elected official, the dynamic has to change. I mean, he is paid for his salary. His office is paid for by the taxpayers. And our role is not to be his cheerleader or to make a Valentine for him as a politician or as an elected official. Our role is to, you know, look at him with the gaze that maybe the other media can't do because they don't have a couple of years to look at him closely. They don't have the ability to get access to his team and ask them tough questions or see them in moments that might be difficult. So, you know, I think we were very clear with Larry that we were going to, you know, not be there to be his cheerleaders or not be there to be his Valentine. And I think that when he agreed to that and understood that the strength of this um, series or feature at the time would be on the rigor with which we could film it and interview people who opposed him interview people from law enforcement who thought he was doing the, the worst thing and treat their perspective with, you know, respect. He, he, I think he understood the value in that kind of rigor. And that's what gave us the confidence that this could hold up over multiple episodes, as opposed to be sort of the Larry Krasner story. Um, there's probably room for that film, but it's not this film. And that leads me very nicely on to um, my next question, which is uh, through the series, uh, though the series features testimony from individuals working with and in some cases against the lead protagonist, Larry Krasner, um, as an individual and a character, he looms large. Um, in such instances, how dangerous is it to have a narrative built around the perspective of, you know, a sole protagonist or such a strong character? 
do you want to take it, Nicole, or should I? <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about it. I don't have a good answer. Um, I think it is dangerous. I think, I mean, I think you always, you know, with any filmmaking project, you know, you become close to your subjects just by nature of observing them closely. You know, observing anybody, um, I think, breeds a little bit of of um, understanding, you know, and if you over empathize with your, with your subjects, maybe that can lose some of your objectivity. But I think we tried really hard to not make this just the Larry Krasner show and to really have other voices and perspectives in there that are, you know, people impacted by his character and also by his position. So, you know, I think you see the other folks in the office who he works with both kind of, you know, many of them admire Larry Krasner and also prescribe to the same ideas and ideals that he has, but at the same time, maybe they chafe at his, uh, you know, at, at his personality sometimes and his bluntness and the way he goes about things, or, you know, maybe, maybe they love it. But I think, I think our series has, I hope that there's like enough air in there that you sort of can separate, um, you know, the fact that he is the protagonist from just always thinking it is his point of view. I think sort of the strength of the series in a way is actually that you know, of all the people that we interview, in some ways, even though you hear his voice a lot, we made a conscience, a conscious decision to not, you know, fill fill the series with interviews with Larry himself. You hear other people sort of talking about the role, talking about the changes, talking about him, but not as much just sort of, you know, him behind the scenes telling us his his motivations. So I think that was like another way that we were sort of trying to create a little bit of distance between ourselves and him as the protagonist, because we wanted we wanted sort of to, to almost take him as like an inciting incident in some ways and sort of see how his decision-making and his personality sort of are ricocheting through the system as opposed to always be, you know, grounded firmly like in his, in his shoes and seeing things through his eyes. I think it's more about, you know, the, the ecosystem around him and sort of the disruption and what comes from that, um, that I hope holds people's interest a little bit more than just him as a person. And I think that, also goes back to your first question about, you know, the format. Um, I think had it been 90 minutes, we probably would have either had it, it probably would have needed to be either just the Larry Krasner show or like the story of one case um, or his battle through one issue. And I think it was one of the things that really excited us about expanding it is that it could become so much bigger than that. And, and we spent a bunch of time trying to figure out what, what a format we mapped out like what could a bunch of different ways that 90 minutes would work. And um, it, it was one of our motivations was to be able to make something much bigger. Having a topic that is timely and current, such as in this case, the American criminal justice system seems even more significant with documentaries than with fiction. Instinctively as filmmakers, how do you know when you found a topic or a protagonist that is right? Yeah, I, I wasn't there for the finding of, I came in maybe nine months later. Um, so it may be a little easier for me to speak to that because Yoni and Ted had already done a bunch of work to, to make it obvious to me that, uh, Larry was a great, great character. But I, you know, when I first met Yoni he showed me, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes worth of footage. Um, and I think, I mean, I think ultimately as a producer, I'm, trusting gut instinct a lot of the times because you're coming in early. Like if you're a distributor, you have the privilege of sometimes being able to wait till something's totally done and buttoned up and then saying this, this works. But 
a lot of it is is gut instinct. But the things that stood out to me were, first off, what he was setting off to do, which was extremely compelling. Um, the methods in which he was using to get there, which were unique. Um, but I think even more so for me was just the level of access and transparency that he had given um, given the team, which was even from just watching 10 minutes, it was like, like kind of jaw dropped when I saw, um, it's, it's pretty unusual. I think there's a lot of great people who could be great documentary subjects, um, who, uh, I don't blame that at all, but just would never let a camera in that much. I don't think I would, but if someone asked to be in my house or my office that much with the camera rolling, I don't know that I would say yes. So I totally respect that, but someone who just believes in giving that access and transparency. And I mean, you only spoke to, to it a little bit, but more than us saying we're gonna do it this way. I feel like Larry kind of fundamentally believed, like he believes in transparency. And so the, the answer to the question is like, why is he letting the cameras roll is because he believes, you know, so much of what he ran on is transparency and so much of how he believes the world should work is with transparency. And I remember one of the first things Yoni told me when I asked that question was he said, Larry sees this almost as a report card. If, if he, if it works great, then, you know, he's showing the, the world what, what is possible and how it can be done. And if it doesn't work, then he's okay being shown, you know, as imperfect and showing why it didn't work and, you know, not getting a good grade on that report card. And to me, someone who's willing to let you in that much, who's doing something incredibly compelling. Like that's a lot of the ingredients for, for a great subject. And I'll just add that the thing that really, you know, I had met Larry and thought he was, you know, charismatic and the things he was saying were really interesting. But to me, I think I only understood what this project could be once we got into the DA's office and I understood that what this office was, was this, you know, crucible where all of these, you know, 40,000 cases come a year. And some of them are the high profile ones that are in the news, but 99% of the ones are things you never hear about. And there are tragedies on both sides of, of people who are committed the crimes or alleged to have and people who are the victims of, of crimes. And that the decisions of how to handle them were not happening in a courtroom drama, like on Law and Order, they were happening in sort of these banal conference room tables where a bunch of regular people, some of whom are not that much older than myself, were making these decisions that were going to impact a million people. And I, I couldn't believe it that there was this, we as a society had this policymaking apparatus that wasn't happening in Washington, D.C. or wasn't happening in a legislature that was bills that never seemed to go anywhere. But it was people who seemed to have this immense power and were grappling with that power. And the idea of a building in my city where these decisions were happening that affected so many people and there were regular people making those decisions, people who I would pass on the trolley or on the street, that idea of a group of people that were kind of off on their own in this building yet their choices were impacting all of us, this group of prosecutors, um, was really exciting to me as a, as a story to look at and to figure out who those people were, what made them tick, what made them different from the prosecutors who were there a generation ago. Um, that, to me, spoke to something that was a little bit more universal about 
all of us wanting to aspire to change this system, aspire to like, what if I was in, what if I actually had some control in the world? What if I had some agency to make a, make things better? What would that be like? And I think that understanding that beyond Larry Krasner is what really excited me um, about making this project. Oh, I'll just add that, you know, I, I think from my, my years as a journalist and a filmmaker, you know, so often you're, you're telling the stories of things that are wrong and of policies that are wrong and of systems that are broken and, um, you know, and the need for accountability and all of these things. And it's very, it just seems immediately very rare and special to be able to actually follow and track the journey of what it's like to try and make change. Because I think, you know, so much of, so much of what's behind that work and what motivates it for me personally, and I think why people are interested, right, is that we want to see things in our society change and to actually be able to be on, on the ground level to see whether that's possible and how and why or why not, um, you know, was just, was just not something I had seen before and was just something that personally I was incredibly curious to just get to see and witness and to be able to, to bring to other people. So, yeah, so I just think on a very basic level, it was, um, it was an incredible moment of, of access to be able to witness and, and to just sort of see what that could teach us, not just about, you know, this city and this system at this time, but to sort of, you know, have the more universal perspective of, of just how do we, how do we make these big structural changes in, in general? And what does it say about our systems and how well we collaborate together as, as human beings, but, you know, also what, um, you know, what, what is the human side of that? How, how are, you know, how do we as individual atomized humans play a role in that? Um, Cause it's very different when we're just, you know, there's, I think, and you know, this is sort of one of the things that I feel like I took away from the series is just understanding how much these institutions really are just made up of people. And, you know, you have to change the policies, but you also have to change, um, you know, change some hearts and minds as they say along the way. So I think, I think being able to sort of be on, on the ground level, just sort of, really gave me an appreciation for how human um, this whole question of change really is. Yeah. And just to, to piggyback on that, I just think with us being specifically this being in Berlin, and this is the first time anything from the series is being seen outside the U S I think one of the things that excited me most about it is that universal side. Like on the one hand, it's about very specific Philadelphia things and you know, the details are all there for, for the local story. Um, but I've always felt that like there's parts of it that are about the American criminal justice system bigger than Philadelphia. But then I think bigger than that, there's something that's true for everywhere in the world, which is an idealist um, makes a bunch of promises that get a lot of people excited about changing a system that a lot of people are dissatisfied with. And then what happens when a person who I think truly is an idealist and truly does plan to stick to his guns on and seeing through it, um, which I think we're lucky to have. What happens when he actually has the levers of power and how possible is change and how does it get done? And um, it's exciting to be playing in an, uh, for an audience that probably is more interested in those bigger questions than they are. And uh, like, there's lots of people who hopefully will love this for the small Philadelphia details. And I think those are for everyone too, but, but I think the bigger questions um, may stand out to an international audience that is less invested in the American system um, specifically, which is, which is awesome. You've all alluded to the uh, so social impact element 
um, you know, of the series. Um, I wondered at what point you knew what the social impact mission was going to be. Was that from the outset or was it pretty much as the narrative has been developing or are you still working through it? Um, I think we, I'm curious what you guys have to say. I think we, I mean, the subjects of the series are so uh, intermingled with social impact causes. Um, and I think covering the subjects, taking on of that was more, has always been at the forefront of it rather than us. I think we tried to edit the series and film the series much more in a journalistic manner than from a activist manner. I think that's been really important. Um, I think we're very much interested in the conversations that come from showing this to people who, uh, either work in the criminal justice system or impact by the cr- criminal justice system in addition to, you know, general public. Um, and so it's definitely part of the rollout will be, will be something that looks like an impact campaign, but we, I do feel like we didn't make it with, with that stuff in mind, which is, I think is not always true of docs, um, but was important to how we want to approach it. I think, I think what you mean, Josh, is that it's not like a straight advocacy film, Right. right, more or less. But it is. But it. I mean, all of the issues that come up in the film, the different you know subjects that we that we look at, whether it's you know probation or the death penalty. I mean, all of these are you know really rich areas where you know you could make a whole ten part series just on that subject alone. So we you know we do touch on them. I, I think I, I hope that we go into enough depth in, around each of these issues that it really gives people something to to think about and grapple with, and you know take back and continue thinking about. But I think sort of, you know, this larger question of like, what is the whole, you know, what is the story of the whole series? I think that's, you know, a conversation that we've been having over and over again since we since we started, because, you know, you sort of need to you need to continue to ask yourself what you know, what is what is the true north of this series? You know, and I think, you know, we're still editing our our last episode now. So we're still asking ourselves, you know, what is the takeaway? And I think, you know, I think there there are a lot of really great rich questions that the series raises. Um and I, and I hope, you know, a lot of takeaways that people will take from it. But I do think as a filmmaker, you need, you need to sort of be constantly asking yourself, like, what your true north is, because otherwise you can go off in so many different directions. So I think for us, you know, we decided to sort of do a balance of, you know, looking at different subject matters where it would also illuminate something about, you know, the relationships in the system and the sort of the structures of how all of these things work. I think that was sort of part of our, part of our goal. Um, so, you know, there are other... And, and, you know, you can do this with so many different stories, but I think that's part of what informed for us, you know, why, you know, we covered probation, for example, in part, just because it helped us illuminate the role of the judges in the system. So I think, you know, with every story that we pursued, hopefully it was sort of able to illuminate a different aspect of this that, you know, adds up to, to more than the sum of the parts. And, I, and I'll just add that I, for me, I think it's kind of important when I think about the kinds of films I like to watch I don't like being advocated to. If I feel I'm being advocated to, I'm not going to be very engaged from the storytelling side of my brain. And so I felt it was pretty important um, that we build a bit of a firewall in between in our editing from our own personal desires for advocacy on some of these issues. Because I just think it it helps the viewer stick in on a narrative basis. And then once you've watched a story and felt something and maybe you learned something too along the way 
I think you're then open and receptive to have that advocacy conversation. But if you're being advocated to along along the way, I don't think you're going to sink your teeth in on a storytelling level. So I I think we've tried to walk that line uh, pretty carefully throughout throughout the series. I'm also curious to uh, find out a bit more about the financing for the series. So obviously this has been produced over a four-year period. And Yoni, you um, expressed earlier that, you know, this isn't the kind of film that, you know, you would go into a room, you know, with a, a full of financiers and necessarily pitch like any sort of, dare I say, average project. I mean, Josh should really talk to the financing structure, but I will say that the the project began, you know, again, the reason I said that is it's not that we went, we didn't go eventually <laughs> hand in hat and pitch to executives. <laughs> we definitely did and, and I love that for that if you're listening. But <laughs> I want to say that we started out with just, you know, we had a camera and some sound equipment and a friend of ours who was an editor and we used the credit card to start shooting for almost a year before there was a grant applied for, before there was a pitch meeting taken. You know, it's not but what I meant by that is it's not the kind of project where you can write a treatment and say, this is what I'm going to go do. The proof is in the pudding. Like, what is the access? What is the material? How are you going to handle it? So we had to kind of take a leap of faith in doing that. And there are some issues with that model in documentaries because it means, you know, why were certain, why did certain filmmakers have the ability to jump off and try that and other ones maybe didn't? And so that's a, another conversation about that kind of production model that requires sort of like a speculation. But that it did give us the ability to sort of find our own feet underneath us before we then had to go put this out into the market, whether you want to call the market, the commercial market or the foundation market or whatever, we had a sense of what we were interested in, what we wanted to do. And, you know, that I think is maybe a good handoff to Josh and thinking about like, how do you then make that sustainable? Because there was no way two friends and a small production company in Philadelphia would be able to, build this up into something that it could be on on our own yeah i think i mean i think the shape of it was very much kind of ted and yoni starting just doing it on their own you know on their own dime and with very little support to um a long period of i guess it started with grant support and then uh, we did a program through sundance called sundance catalyst that put us in front of a bunch of individual um, grantors and investors. Um, and we got a lot of support out of there. Um, that was all kind of, uh, donation type support. Um, and so we actually got through the vast majority of production, um, just on kind of piecing together, uh, small grants and small, not small, but smaller grants and donations compared to, it wasn't like one big person, you know, writing us, writing us a check to solve all of our problems. Um, and which was, it was actually interesting. Cause a lot of that, again, we did thinking it was a feature. Um, and it actually ended up being really freeing that we hadn't done it early. We hadn't gone around to networks and whatnot. Um, when we thought it was a feature and then had to go back and change the whole plan and the whole financing structure in the end. Um, so we, I think what we shot for two years, um, thereabouts before kind of making that decision. And then 
um, and then kind of brought in big distribution partners and, and started working with ITVS, um, ITVS and PBS as a kind of partnership um, and topic. Uh, and they became our true partners on the film, uh, basically when we went into full-on uh, post-production. We've continued to shoot throughout post-production in bits and pieces, but um, you know, I think we had at some points like six editors. Like It was a pretty big... It was a very small infrastructure for most of shooting, and it was a pretty large infrastructure for most of post. And as a team, you have experience in both documentary and fiction producing. What would you say are the risks and challenges that are specific to documentary making? So, I mean, you know, in listening to um, all of your testimony about how the series has gone and, you know, obviously the various twists and turns, you know, clearly it's not as, you know, it's not the sort of conventional filmmaking. Um, what would you say um, have been some of the the risks and challenges that have, you know, been keeping you awake late at night, you know, um, that you've been particularly concerned about with this format? For the first part of your question, just with fiction and documentaries, I will say the thing I love about, I, I do about half and half between between fiction and documentaries. And the thing I love about documentaries is you can take that first step and like have a very small footprint and just start and try to figure it out a little bit. Like if you have a camera, you know, how far you can get depends on a whole bunch of things, but it is possible to really just start making the thing and then kind of bit by bit put together the financing and, and deal with gatekeepers Um, where in the fiction world it's much harder to not have all the pieces together before you start shooting. So, um, which, yeah, you get stuck in what I call development hell quite a bit. And it'll be three years of working on something and working through the ideas, and then you still need someone who's external to you and your team to come in and say, you know, I grant you permission, and here's more than I grant you permission, here's a huge check. Um, because it usually takes a lot more people to put together, um, and a lot more money. Um, and it's hard to just shoot one scene of the movie, just the way some, some features you can design so that you can do it that way, but it's, um, but it's more difficult. Um, and so there's a freedom in that and there's a creating your own momentum in that, which I really love. Um, the... I guess the downside to that is it can be end like you have no idea when it ends. Like you start shooting something and you don't like you, you're there's a quote. I forget who said it. I'm sure it was someone great. I'm sure said it in, uh, in doc in fiction films, the director's God and in, uh, no, I'm not going to get the quote, right? So you should probably cut this from the interview. But the basic idea is, is like, you're basically at the behest of like the universe um, in, in documentaries. You can't write the story. Um, and in fiction, you get to write it all and create the entire world. Um, so sometimes at the end of your story, you shoot a great subject and nothing happens, or at the end of your story it happens five years later than you thought it was going to happen. Um, so that can be both exciting and nerve-wracking, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I would say one of the reasons it ended up in a, in a way, being a, a multi-year project is just that nothing in reality happens as quickly as as you would like for your shooting schedule. So, you know, even though we would love 
for some of the, you know, first cases or policies that we started filming to, you know, to wrap out within 18 months, that would have been great. But it's just not, you know, the actual timeline of how things develop in, in the world. So that is definitely one of the drawbacks of, of documentary. You're kind of just um, at the mercy of, of the schedules of, of reality. And, you know, that, I mean, that's fine. <laughs> that's, that's, that's part of what it is. And you have to, you know, adapt. And um, it, it, you know, it forces you to be creative in different ways and think about other things, other ways to end your stories and other ways to sort of give the audience like a satisfying journey rather than what you necessarily started off with. So, you know, it, I, I think that improvisation hopefully makes makes for something um, exciting and interesting to watch, even if it's not what you might have imagined. I remember the quote. While Nicole is speaking, I got the quote. <laughs> it's in documentaries, no, in fiction films, the director's God, and in documentaries, God is the director. Uh, someone much smarter <laughs> than me uh, came up with that one, and I just forgot it and then remembered it. But I think it's, it speaks to something. And I'll say the thing that keeps me awake, you asked, that was a good question. One of the things that really keeps me awake is that I think it's challenging to be making this series at this moment because there is, thankfully, so much attention right now being paid to mass incarceration, being paid to the role of the prosecutor. And I think that it's like the the verdict, sorry to use that analogy, is not in on what the right ways are to 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 tackle this centuries old problem in the United States and other countries as well. And you know, I think the tricky thing for our series has always been we're in Philadelphia. This is happening in our backyard. We can look at what's happening in Larry Krasner's office. We can look at all the dominoes that have fallen, but in doing so it raises bigger questions like we don't want to say that this quote unquote experiment in Philadelphia is the only way to move forward in dismantling mass incarceration or that Larry Krasner is an exemplar of how to do that. There are other people who have been doing it in other cities before him and have had different pathways to do it. Even the notion of a prosecutor being the change maker in the system is contentious. So how do we frame that? How is that going to be received in the world? Um, are we, you know, doing our duty to our characters, both in the DA's office and out of the DA's office, and letting audiences understand what they grapple with, but also being hard enough on them, because they are all government actors. They all draw government salary. They don't deserve any wet kisses from us. So I think that that tension about understanding that there are like different ways to end this problem that everybody recognizes as a problem, but not being totally sure of, you know, how our storytelling is going to frame that in the larger, in the larger cultural conversation is, is a tricky thing. It is really what keeps me up at, up at night. And I don't really have the answer for that because at the end of the day, you know, we have to make the story that, feels right for what we've been filming and for the stories that we've heard and the people that we've met. Um, but it is, but it is hard because you do know that to some extent, these are public people. Larry Krasner is a public person. This is a movement that deserves a lot of public scrutiny. And so how we fit into that, I don't have the answer to. And I wondered if you, what, what advice or even mechanisms you 
would recommend, you know, for filmmakers, creatives who are sort of crafting these kind of stories where, you know, you become attached to the protagonist, you're following them over a certain period of time, and you kind of wittily start to become attached to outcomes. I mean, by the time I got to series two, it was like my heart was sinking when certain things were happening and I was having certain conversations. I, you know, I can't imagine what it's going to be like when I get to the end of the series and seeing the journey of some of these individuals. You know, how have you been able to sort of keep that distance or keep that sort of balance in terms of the emotional impact, which I'm sure must be quite immense, you know, when you're dealing with these real life stories? I mean, to me, I think that the, the, like the personal, like I think there's two categories for me, as I mentioned, there are the people who are in power like the DAs who draw government salary, and there are people who are impacted by their decisions. And I think in our brain, we had two different categories of characters in the series. Um, and I think we, tr- we you know, tried to treat everybody with respect and you know, uh, care. But at the same time, I don't think we could ignore the fact that we are dealing with you know, people who have the power of the state behind them and how they're wielding that. Um, and so that's why I think that throughout the series, you'll meet people um, like in episode two, you meet Dion, whose son Tafari is murdered and, you know, the system kind of botched it. And you get to see the frustration that she has, you know, the, the, the way you feel about her and the way we treated her in terms of just how we worked with her family and spent time doing a lot of things that aren't even in the series is very different than I think you would treat somebody who is a police officer who's out on their, who's doing their job, essentially. You know, like, Dion in episode two didn't decide to be implicated in the justice system. You know, it just happened. She had no, you know, nobody asked her if she wanted to have her son murdered, of course, and to have to go through this terrible tragedy. And so... There are several people in the series who are like impacted individuals. And I think the way that we tried to depict their stories is a little bit different than the way you hear and you meet the people who signed up to become prosecutors or police officers or judges. So I that that to me is like an important distinction in terms of like just who the characters are in the series would inform the way that we tell their stories. I think also it's, we weren't setting out to make, we were setting out to show flaws in people and have complex portrayals of people and systems, but we weren't setting out to make like a, like capture a bunch of gotcha moments with people. Like it is trying to show, like something I'm really happy with the series is it shows, I think it does show a wide swath of viewpoints. Um, but I think, and thus far the feedback, I think like, people would say they're represent even if they disagree, they they wouldn't say we're representing them like out of context or outside of the way they meant to be portrayed. Like there's a respect or, or we tried to show like a know, respect to the perspective. Yeah, exactly. Um so like you know, Larry's the protagonist, but it's not like Yeah. It's not it, it, it's a respect to each of the characters no matter which side of the equation they're on is the approach and, um, but also, you know, not, not making everyone just like the clean heroic version of themselves as well. 
And what has the response been from um, Larry and his team and even some of the uh, protagonists, the other protagonists or activists that you've featured? Well, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the series has been will be received that, you know, only episodes one and two have been released publicly at Sundance and now at the Berlinale. And, you know, Larry Krasner is running for reelection this spring. Uh, and, and that's not in our film. We, you know, we obviously had to stop filming before he started running and, you know, it will be very interesting to see whether or not our film helps shape the discourse around how his term has been. There are other progressive prosecutors now in other cities who are going to be up for re-election. So it's almost like this is perhaps one of the, the voters' first chances to uh, decide if they want to keep going in, in, in this direction. And I think to me, like my hope from the series is that this series is not so much a chance for people to decide, like, who am I going to vote for at the ballot box? But it's how do I stay engaged after the election? Because there are so many other factors in terms of we get we get attuned during an election cycle to a DA or other folks. And then I think for the next two years or four years, it's easy to forget that the mayor, the judge, the president, your council, you know, these folks are still accountable to public pressure. And that public pressure that we apply to folks during an election season like they're paying attention, they're they're listening, uh, and they, and and I do feel like I hope that the fact that we were able to do multiple episodes gives viewers a little bit more ammunition of things to pay attention to. Like you should be leaving the series and looking up who your own prosecutor is and what are their policies on probation, supervision, the death penalty, sentencing. How do they handle homicide? homicides in your in your city uh, or low-level crimes like I, I think that that sustained engagement is a bigger question to me than like will Larry Krasner be reelected again um, and I think that's something that people can take like beyond beyond Philadelphia uh, on the series so we'll see how people react to it no nobody's seen the whole series uh, including us honest. we're still editing yeah <laughs> I, I do want to add, and it kind of goes back to your question of like agendas from earlier, but adding to that, like, I, I think the question of who will you vote for is less key to us than uh, so many people just don't vote for D, in the DA's races or don't even understand what their DA does. And so just from a pure, like, I think one of our goals setting out was just um, documenting something that hasn't been documented before, getting people to realize the power that they that these individuals have when they're elected and then hopefully that being part of more people exercising their right to vote and choose who's in these seats regardless of what side you sit on i think understanding the role um role better does that yeah and i do i do think the series also hopefully illuminates you know sort of not just the power of the da but also the the limits of the criminal justice system i think in story after story hopefully you know, people will sort of see that there's only actually so much that a system, you know, designed around, you know, punishment can can actually do to achieve sort of the stated long term goals of public safety. And I know that's, you know, that's a conversation that's happening in the United States right now, very, very much so around sort of the defund conversation. Um, and obviously, all of, you know, that that framing of, you know, defund the police came after our series and our, our shooting had finished filming. But I think a lot of those 
the sort of um, the kernels of that conversation. You can see it happening in these years that we've documented, you know, prior prior to this last summer, where you know, time and again, a lot of a lot of what you hear people saying is, you know, we need more investment in you know X Y Z. It can't all be the police that are answering to these calls, right? You need mental health. You need investment in schools and all these different kinds of things. So I I hope people watch the series and rather than just thinking, okay, you know, Larry Krasner, thumbs up or thumbs down, they're also thinking, okay, you know, when, when I hear stories on my nightly news report about crime, I need to also be, you know, have a little bit of inoculation against thinking like that, that should mean we need more police, right? It's like, what, what is it? What does it really mean? What's sort of behind that? And just to sort of give them a little bit more ammunition of having sort of seen the limits of what the system can do and to sort of, you know, stimulate sort of their curiosity and their concern in other directions. Thank you. And lastly, in the wake of the election at the end of 2020, the US appears to have entered calmer waters and is being stared from some of the false narratives that were perpetuated under the Trump administration. What do you think this means for future trends in documentary filmmaking? There's no idea uh, acceptable answer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know anything about trends in documentary filmmaking, unfortunately, so I won't even pretend to answer what they are or what they should be. I will just say that again, just speaking to the focus of our series, that I think, um, especially outside of the United States, we there's a lot of attention to who the president is in the United States. But there, when you think about mass incarceration and the justice system, the role of the president and the federal system is, is hugely important in terms of setting the tone and an allocation of funds. But the individual decisions are made by local prosecutors in local cities and local states. So there's 2,500 prosecutors around the United States who are up for election every two years, or, you know, depending on the cycle. And who that person is, is something that people should realize because the vast majority of people who are incarcerated and go through the justice system go through on the local level or the state level. And so I do feel like, you know, Personally, I, I feel like the presidential conversation sucks a lot of the oxygen out of the political discourse in the United States and that people are so focused on this national question every four years. And, and we have to be. But if we spend 80 percent of our political brain space thinking about what's happening in Washington, D.C., then how much are we spending thinking about like where our tax dollars go in our local city, in our local school district? And, and I do also hope that this series is a bit of an ode to like localism and in looking at your local backyard for that, because I think that's where you can practically make a bigger impact than in whatever the hell happens in Washington, D.C., which I don't understand. OK, well, Josh, Nicole, Yoni, it's been a great pleasure to uh, talk with you and discuss the intricacies of um, Philly D.A., um, I certainly will be looking out um, and keeping my fingers crossed for the successes and um, increased and continued engagement with the documentary series. Thank you once again and certainly wishing you all the very best. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much. And thanks to the Berlinale for inviting us and for this incredible honor um, and for the, the audiences that you guys are bringing together. Thank you for having us. In the next episode... International film industry guests will join me to discuss the influence that the Global North has on film production, aesthetics, and the perspectives portrayed of the Global South. 
We will examine the extent to which this affects the sovereignty of storytelling in the film industry. Look us up on your podcast subscriber or alternatively find us at www.efm-berlinale.de. Thanks for listening. I hope you will continue to stay tuned to Industry Insights, the EFM podcast in cooperation with Gothe Institute.